Hey guys, this is the C3 Church Malmo podcast. I am believing God will speak to you today and that a greater level of faith will be unlocked in your life. For more information about C3 Church, go to c3malmo.se. God bless. Good morning, church. So good to be with you on this final Sunday in January. I can't believe January is almost over. Can you? That means a couple of good things. One, it's getting lighter and lighter every day. Um, it's also getting colder right now, but never mind. Most importantly, 2020 is getting further away. Can I get an amen? Amen. There's reason for hope. Well, today I'm coming to you to talk about fasting. This is uh, another installment in this series we've been in this year on faith. Pastor Quinton will be rounding up that series next week with a few details, uh, maybe a few more practical details on fasting and dream cards and all sorts of things like that. But today we are preparing ourselves to fast. We're going to start that together on Monday, February 8th. So that's not tomorrow. Next Monday, February 8th, we'll do that through Saturday the 13th. The cool thing about that is is it coincides with a global C3 fast uh, held on Wednesday, the Wednesday of that week, February 11th. So Pastor Phil Pringle has called all C3 churches uh, to fast. So we'll be in great community. So we're preparing ourselves for that by focusing a little bit on this Christian habit called fasting. So this habit is a little bit curious in that it's uh, it's a habit that not many of us have actually made a habit. We haven't actually incorporated it into our lives. Feasting is also an important Christian habit. And that one, you know, we've got no problem with that. Feasting, we got that one down. But as soon as you take the E away, feasting becomes fasting. And all of a sudden, we're just not so sure. And yet, Jesus takes fasting seriously. And he just kind of takes it for granted that his followers will fast. We see that in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6. He's talking about giving to the needy and prayer as just, of course, my followers are going to do that. And right there in that same section, he says, and when you fast, just when you do it, you're going to, of course, you're going to do it. So when you do it, Um, and I think a lot of us need to just stop right there and say, when I do it, well, I actually don't do it. And so my challenge for us at the start of this sermon today is just to take Jesus at his word here. Let's take Jesus seriously. He says, when you fast, let's just get into that mindset. Okay, when When we fast, we are going to fast. Okay. Uh, He says, and there he says, do it so it's not obvious to others. He's kind of um, uh, giving some teaching directed to the very religious people who would fast and make it obvious. And, oh, look at me. I'm so holy. I'm fasting. And Jesus says, come on now. I care about your motivations. And that's not it. When you fast, do it in secret for your father. And he sees you and will reward you. Interestingly, fasting actually isn't particular to Jesus' followers, like praying and offering and things like that. All other religions fast and have fasted. Humans have fasted since antiquity. Even some non-religious philosophies like Stoicism incorporates fasting. Uh, And of course, in the West, recently, different types of fasting, intermittent fasting, things like that, have become popular as a kind of diet or lifestyle for the physical and mental benefits that fasting can bring. Um, That's sort of a counter to our fast carb, refined sugar, give it to me now diets of death that some of us have. So what's the deal with fasting? Well, I think one thing that all religious fasting seems to have in common is of course that it's a very bodily, visceral experience. Like when you fast, 
you, you, you notice that you haven't been eating. And if you don't notice, well, the people around you notice that you haven't been eating. And so when you fast, you can't help them, but also think about why you're fasting. And I think that's at least one reason why it's ubiquitous across religions and that humans have been doing it for a long time. It's that why you're not eating is really at the forefront of your mind and your experience. So it is true that some types of fasting seem to have physical and mental benefits. And I don't think we should be surprised that perhaps God has designed us that way. But to be clear, self-improvement is never the main purpose or purpose at all of a Christian fast. There are at least 30 mentions of fasts throughout the Bible, and none of them mention self-improvement as being the reason for them. So if our first question when we approach a fast is, okay, that seems, that seems strange, what do I get out of it? Then I would propose that we're actually asking the wrong question. It's like in Zechariah when God is chastising the Israelites for their reasons for both fasting and feasting. This is chapter 7, verse 5. He says, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month for 70 years, they've been doing it for a long time, uh, were you doing it for me? Was it really for me that you fasted? That's, of course, a rhetorical question. The answer is it wasn't. It wasn't really for God. And so your focus matters. God cared about the Israelites' focus in the Old Testament. Jesus cares about your motivations in the New Testament. It's clearly important. So like all Christian habits or disciplines, we do them not primarily because we're told to do them but because they keep our relationship with God strong. It's just like a habit in a very strong marriage relationship. If you would look at um, a married couple's life, they've got a strong, someone with a strong marriage, you would see that they've got habits and routines that they engage in in order to keep that relationship going and to stay close to each other. And so that's what Christian habits are. They are routines and habits that we get into to keep our relationship with God fresh and close, to keep him close. And fasting is one of those tools. It's one of those habits that we are invited to incorporate into our life to keep him close. I have to admit here, I don't think that I've always really understood fasting. I mean, I grew up in a Christian home and observed people fasting, but I didn't quite get it. I even learned some things while preparing for this sermon, uh, which is actually one reason that I love being asked to preach because I always learn stuff, uh, which is amazing. And then I'm convicted and challenged and pushed in my walk with God. And actually, some parts of fasting still seem a little bit mysterious to me even now. But if I reflect on a couple of just wrong ideas that I have had in the past. Uh, one is that I think I thought maybe fasting was an amplifier for our prayers. Like a normal prayer is like, dear God, please help me. And fasting while praying is like, dear God, help me. Like it's just an amplifier, but that's not right. I mean, God hears you whether or not you're fasting or his ears don't get bigger when we fast. No. Um, another wrong thought that I have had in the past about fasting is, that maybe God's more likely to answer your prayer when you fast. He has a favorite. He, 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 he really, really, really likes the people who fast. He likes you if you don't fast, but he really likes you if you fast. And of course, that's not at all the biblical picture we get either. So again, for some reason that seems a little bit mysterious even now to me, fasting is one method available to us for tuning our hearts and minds to God. 
It's not tuning his ears to us. We turn our hearts and minds to him. Prayer often goes together with fasting in the Bible, but not always. Uh, it really is a habit in and of itself, though, of course, prayer is a great compliment. Many of us are familiar, I think, with Jesus' big 40-day fast uh, that's mentioned in all the Gospels. So if you've got your Bible there, why don't you take it out, turn, uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 4. This comes, no surprise, after Luke chapter 3. <laughs> and in Luke chapter 3, we, uh, we get this story of Jesus' baptism. It's a stunning moment, amazing moment, a public declaration of who Jesus is and the start of his ministry. Uh, God the Father announces to everyone that Jesus is my son, and he anoints him with the Holy Spirit. We've got this amazing picture of the Trinity in just loving relationship. It is absolutely stunning, a holy, sacred moment. So keep that in mind. It's important that that comes first. And then read with me in chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. Yes, he was hungry. I love that it doesn't say something like he was so super spiritual that he didn't even notice his hunger. No, he hadn't eaten for 40 days and he was hungry. So that's one thing. You can expect to feel hungry when you fast. Another thing I think that sticks out here is that fasting in the wilderness was Jesus' response to this amazing sacred moment with God the Father. It was this moment of calling, of relationship, and it just spurred Jesus, or the Spirit leads him in response to that, to fast. That's a bit strange. You need to go without food in response to God calling you to be in relationship with him. But for whatever reason, he was prompted to be with God, to be closer to him. And that happened in a bodily, visceral way that made him hungry. Sometimes I've heard of people trying to set up a fast so that they can do it and still be as comfortable as possible while doing it. Like they'll say, okay, I'm going to skip lunch, which is, by the way, a great place to start, maybe skipping one meal a day. Um, but then in order to do that, they have a buffet brunch just before and like, oh, I'm going to have this buffet brunch for breakfast. And they're not even hungry anyway for lunch. Or I've heard some people, um, you know, they give up a certain food I'm like, oh, I'm going to fast. I'm fasting sugar. I'm giving up sugar for Jesus. And you're like, oh, okay, that's great. Yes, only dates for me. I don't know why this person has this voice, but, you know, no refined sugar, just dates. And it's like, okay, that could be a great lifestyle change, but that's just not what the Bible seems to be getting at here. That's not Jesus' attitude. Now there, I already mentioned, there are some 30 fasts mentioned in the Bible. And wow, I would really love to explore some of them with you, but I actually had to cut a bunch of material, <laughs> surprise, surprise, for this sermon. So in lieu of exploring some of the specific fasts that happen in the Bible, instead I want to underline this main point this morning. And it is that it seems like the root of any biblical fast must always be a hunger for God, a hunger for the full experience of heaven, for his kingdom right now on earth. We see this in Matthew 9, when some critics ask Jesus, um, why aren't your disciples fasting? John the Baptist, his disciples were fasting. The Pharisees fast. Your disciples aren't actually fasting. 
And Jesus says, well, why would they fast? I'm with them right now. They don't need to fast. They're with me. This is a time to celebrate. And he says, but when I depart, they'll be fasting again. And it's like, yeah, because Jesus isn't here, his kingdom has started but isn't fully realized, we fast because we're hungry for it and we just want to be close to him. His disciples didn't need to fast then because he was literally right next to them. So if we fast first to seek an answer, maybe we have one of those paradigms that I mentioned earlier that's not quite biblical, that God answers our prayers more or he hears us better if we fast. If we're first doing it for those reasons, to seek an answer or to get a blessing, we're doing it wrong. We fast first because we recognize that the food of this world, though it's a good and necessary gift and we're even called to enjoy it and feast on it sometimes, it's not what ultimately sustains us. And instead, we're hungry to be closer to him who ultimately does. As Jesus responds to the devil's temptation during this 40-day fast, uh, the devil, of course, says, you seem really hungry, which he was. How, how about you just turn a rock into some bread? And Jesus says, because it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. So you might be saying, well, why do I have to fast for this? Like, I can believe that, that Jesus says, man doesn't live on bread alone. I can believe that's true, but why do I have to fast? Why can't my spirit be hungry for God while my stomach full? That's a great question. I'm so glad you asked it. <laughs> it's because your body and soul are not separate entities. What you do with one affects the other. Your spirit and body are one. And so fasting is seeking God, longing for God with your whole body. It's the longing of your spirit reflected in the hunger of your stomach. We practice our self-control muscle when we say no to food as a way to shift our perspective on who really is in control. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, says Jesus, and by directing our physical hunger for spiritual purposes, our actions become a living metaphor, and this truth sinks deeper into our souls. It's also interesting that nothing in the Christian faith invites us simply to think something. Um, of course, Scripture is always asking us to respond to God with our whole body, with our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our physical body. To be clear, we do make statements of belief. We do think things and believe things. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's the second person of the Trinity, that he died and resurrected, that he's the Savior of the world. But then, as disciples, we're called to remember his death, not just by thinking about it and remembering it, but by eating bread and drinking wine. We're called to read the word and then to do it with our bodies. We're called to believe that Jesus is King and Savior and then be baptized in water. You see, there's a thought and then there's an action. This happens all over the place in the Bible and as Christians. So it makes total sense then in that framework that we believe that we do not live on bread alone and then we practice that in the action of fasting. The Bible seems to suggest that when all of our physical needs are met, when we're 100% comfortable, we're more susceptible to falling asleep spiritually, to forgetting this truth that our lives are sustained by God and not ourselves. We see this, a great example of this, in the Israelites in the Old Testament. That line from Jesus about not living on bread alone, that actually is referencing Moses speaking to the Israelites in Deuteronomy 8, Three, 
Moses basically says the same thing. Uh, he says, Israelites, God humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then he fed you with manna to teach you that man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You see, the Israelites, like Jesus, were in the desert for 40 years, not 40 days, and they were sustained by manna directly from God, apparently so that they could really understand this truth. Moses is giving in this uh, stage a speech of warning to the Israelites about what's going to maybe happen to them when they are able to go into Canaan, the promised land. Basically, in my paraphrase, he says, over there, you're going to have the opportunity to get fat and happy. You got all the food you want. You got houses already. It's abundance over there. And that's wonderful. That's what God wants for them. But Moses always knows he also knows something about the human spirit, the human heart, human nature. That living in that abundance has a great potential and great danger to lull them to sleep spiritually. He says in Deuteronomy 8, verse 10, when you, have, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery." He continues on there, but you see what he's saying. Over there, you're going to be able to get fat and happy, and because of the way the human heart works and human nature, you're going to likely forget God and think, oh, I've done this. Look at me. I'm satisfied. Contemporary pastor and theologian John Piper puts it this way. He says, the greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison. It's apple pie. It's not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but the endless nibbling at the table of the world. So what does he mean there? He doesn't mean that apple pie is bad. Eat apple pie sometimes, or, you know, eat fika, eat a semla would be our, our Swedish equivalent. It's just that we have a bent to exalt good created things higher than they should be, to turn, creature, to, turn to creature comforts to meet our needs, and then start to think that that's all we need. Instead, we really ought to be like the psalmist in Psalm 63. Turn, turn in your Bible to Psalm 63. It goes like this. You, God, are my God. I earnestly, earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied, as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. I think it's fascinating to track all of the eating and drinking metaphors in the Bible. We just saw one there, and I've used several already in this sermon. The psalmist says, I will be fully satisfied with you as with the richest of foods. So eating and drinking spiritually and for spiritual purposes, it's all over the Bible. And you can see it a lot related to Jesus himself as well as scripture and the word. 
For example, John 6, Jesus says, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Eat me and drink me. Nourish yourself on me. In another psalm, we see taste and see that the Lord is good. Scripture is sweeter than honey. It's also milk and meat. And there are lots of others. It's as though God has actually given us physical hunger. He's designed us with this physical need in order to teach us spiritual truths about ourselves and about Him. So I hope that you will fast to feed on Him and Him through the Word as we fast together starting February 8th. You know, this is part of our series on faith. And faith, I want to emphasize, ultimately doesn't originate in us, but in God. And in Romans, we learn that it comes by hearing the word. And so people of faith should be able to say like Job in chapter 23, verse 12. He says, I have treasured the word of his mouth more than my daily bread. People of faith should be able to say, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. So my prayer today is that you're freshly intrigued by the practice of fasting as a rhythm in your relationship with God. I hope that you're asking yourself questions about how often you acknowledge that God is in control. Are you hungry? Are you hungry, church, for his kingdom, for a kingdom come in Malma as it is in heaven? Is your hope really in him more than the things of this world, more than any political system, more than in any vaccine, more than any? Is your hope in God? Are you hungry for him? I hope you discuss these things with your connect groups. That's a great place to kind of map out what this might look like practically, to encourage each other to take the next step that might be different for each of you in your relationship with God. Again, we're fasting from Monday, February 8th to Saturday, February 13th. So take this coming week um, to ask God, to seek Him. Ask Him, what is this going to look like for me? God, what are you calling me to fast? How should I fast? Listen to the Spirit. Listen to how He's leading you, just like Jesus was led by the Spirit as He went into the wilderness. Maybe you're worried about being able to fast at all. And then I just want to give you this encouragement. He's probably not going to ask you to give up every single meal all week if you've never fasted before. Okay. But also take heart because if you're following his lead, if you're doing what he's asked you to do, he's going to give you the strength to see it through. The strength is going to come from him, not from you. So maybe for you, that's going to look like foregoing one meal. And instead of eating, you're going to read a psalm. And then throughout the day, you're going to return to that psalm. And you're going to chew it and meditate on it as you memorize it. That way you don't always have to get your Bible out to read it. It's just there and you're just reflecting and chewing and digesting it throughout the day. Maybe that's foregoing dinner and you decide to read through the Gospel of John that week. And then maybe you prayerfully consider how God might be speaking to you through his word. Maybe you listen to the word. You know, if the point is to digest the word, you don't have to read it. Listening is a great way uh, to eat his word and spend nourishing time with Jesus. You could also sing it, of course. Many great worship songs take text directly from the Bible. So sing, sing his word. That's another way of digesting it, getting it into our systems. 
The point is shift your focus during your fasting week. So you're not focusing on what you can't have. Like you don't open the refrigerator and look longingly like, oh, look at all this food I can't have. No, that's ridiculous. Instead, open your Bible, open your Bible app and see it as a feast. It's a table for you waiting to feed your spirit. So your focus is not what you can't have, but what, on you, what you are having. You're using your whole body to seek spiritual nourishment that can only come from Jesus and his word. Amen. I hope you're inspired by that. Uh, think about what stuck out to you the most as you discuss with your connect groups. I just want to pray and bless this coming week um, together. Lord, thank you so much that you are in control. It's a relief, really. We act like you're not. We sometimes forget that you're not. We engage with the world in ways that's unhealthy and disordered. But Lord, we want to take this time to remember that you are in control. Lord, lead us this week. Speak to us that we may know what the next step for us is. Help us to know what this fast should look like. What are you calling us to individually and corporately, Lord? Speak to us through your word. Thank you that you've given us something that nourishes our spirits and our souls and that we can long for it with our whole bodies. What a gift. What a gift that we have these habits to incorporate to be in close relationship with you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Have a great week, church.